that was a slide that was came up a little bit too soon, but when I look at the images of the little kids on the screen, I think, weren't my kids that size just learning to walk about a minute ago? <laughs> um, truth is, um, no, I've been a mommy now for 23 years. That's kind of a long time. I've earned a few stripes, I think. I've uh, learned by trial and error. Our firstborn son, always always our firstborns have to have be guinea pigs, right, for us. Um, this morning, it's Mother's Day, so our firstborn, Ryan, is here. He's 23 years old, and um, <laughs> sure, clap for him. I love him. I clap for him all the time. <laughs> this man um, that sits before me is not that little kid anymore, um, and it's really kind of an amazing thing. Do not cry, because I will cry. <laughs> He's not that little kid anymore. Um, this baby that came into my life on a um, unusually warm February day in, the, in February um, in Indiana. It was 64 degrees and the sun was shining. I know that's not unusual for us here in Southern California, but in Indiana it was a little odd. But I think God created that day especially for Ryan because he has been sunshine in my life. Oh my gosh, <laughs> ever since. That mommy there looking into that baby's eyes. I love him. I loved him so much. And I remember um, thinking no one really prepared me for the love that a mommy has for their child. I know that there are some people in this room who are not moms yet or um, who haven't had that experience to have a child of their own. But God um, can give you those experiences in other ways. But um, I just remember being caught off guard that this in unbelievably intense love I had, and I helped my firstborn baby boy. He was born at 38 weeks. 40 weeks is full term, so he was two, two weeks early. Tiny little thing at nine pounds. <laughs> Tiny. But I would look into his eyes and I would tell him how much I loved him. I couldn't lavish enough love on him. I kissed his little face. I unwrapped his blankets and I kissed his feet and his little fingers because he was precious. Why was he so precious? Because God gave him as a gift to me, he was mine. God entrusted me with that boy. And a few others that came along after him. <laughs> Looking at the pictures that I see on the screen now, lots of memories flood back. But I know that I told that boy right there how much he was loved. Actually, the picture in the far right is Zach, not Ryan. <laughs> But I told those boys how much I loved them, how much I cherished them. They were like royalty to me. They were special. There is nothing that they could do to make me not love them. I came to a point at that then that I had to, um, I believed a lot of things about that boy right there. And I thought, how can I teach my children to find their identity in Christ 
if I have not yet found my identity in him. As children, we are um, kind of a victim of our circumstances. <laughs> um, and I was raised in a family. Um, my parents had four children. I was number two. My parents had four children under the age of five by the time they were 24. It was rough. I cannot imagine. But um, they lavished love upon me, and I never doubted their love for me at all. But my dad, um, he didn't know um, who he is in Christ. And he, did, he had some things that were written in his heart that were destructive to him. And his, his um, answer to that was to drink. He was an alcoholic. And growing up in an alcoholic home, it can scar your life. It does scar your life. It doesn't only, alcoholism doesn't only affect the person who... Um, is drinking, but it also affects anything that it touches. I am so grateful that today, um, as of about 10 years ago, my dad no longer drinks. And he knows Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And I know he has regret, but God has forgiven him. Um, but growing up, I, I, I wasn't set up in a place that... Um, I would have a good self-esteem. My self-esteem was very low. I didn't think much of myself at all. And um, I had the wonderful opportunity to do some Bible studies throughout um, my young adult life and my when I was in, a young mom. And one of the studies I did was um, called Breaking Free by um, an author, Beth Moore. Um, she's just an unbelievable Bible teacher, and um, she explains a concept in Breaking Free um, that um, our minds are like um, a room, and in the room, um, there's wallpaper on the wall, and um, if you feel really good about yourself and you know who you are in Christ, the wallpaper is beautiful, and it's lovely. And it's um, something to just, you know, you ever walk into a room and go, wow, this place is awesome. That's not what the, the um, walls of my mind looked like, though. And um, Beth describes a painful and um, liberating experience of looking at the wallpaper. And, and it's like, um, it's like, Someone has graffitied all over the wall, and the graffiti is not beautiful. The graffiti is ugly, and it's stuff that I believed about myself that was um, it was just not right. It wasn't true. I didn't know that, though, but I knew that if I wanted to be a mom that taught that boy who he is in Christ, I had no doubt that Jesus loved him, that he was royalty, that he was special, that he was made in the image of God, but I didn't know that about myself. So in this uh, Breaking Free study, I, wa I was commissioned by Beth Moore herself <laughs> to um, look at the wallpaper, and I had to tear down the wallpaper, the ugly things that I believed about myself. It was not a fun process. If you've ever wallpapered, how many of you have ever wallpapered a, a room? I do not like wallpaper. I tried it once. I'll never do it again. It's messy, it's icky, it's sticky. 
once it's on the wall, if it's done right, it stays for years and years and years and years and years. And when I began to um, take the unhealthy thoughts off of the walls of my mind, I was scraping that wallpaper, scraping it so that um, it no longer existed. Sometimes I would scrape it and then unbelievable, you do a renovation of an older home and there's layer after layer after layer of um, wallpaper. Well, I had layer after layer after layer of negative things that I believed about who I was. That is not who God saw me as, though. And as a young mom, I really wanted to teach my children to love themselves and to love God and to know who they are in Christ. What are some of the things that um, cause the uh, wallpaper, not just in my mind, but in, in all of our minds? What, 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 um, who places that there? And it's from several different things. I'm so sorry, I'm kind of dry. <laughs> um, one thing is from opinions or words of other people, things that people have said about you. I'm going to show you some images. They're a little bit disturbing. Um, so brace yourself. You got a little peek of it. But um, these images, I'm going to step down here so that I can see them um, close up and well. These are things that people have said to perhaps these, these children. And they're scars. They leave marks. Our words, you know, the whole um, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is so not true. These are some of the thoughts that words are put onto people sometimes. Brat. Stupid. Stupid was one of mine. And um, I had to tear that down and replace it with something else. Retard. That is a word that touches my heart very closely. I have a son who is developmentally delayed. That word is like the N-word to me. We need to take that word out of our vocabulary. It is not, a, not something that we should say. Let's see the next slide. Ugly, fat, coward. Look at the little girl that had fat. She has not at all, but someone might have called her chubby or fat or something that was unkind, and that stuck to her. The next slide. As we grow a little older, a mistake, a moron. Precious little boy called a little girl because he did something that was uncharacteristic, perhaps. Next. Dumb, dork, freak, this teenage boy. Probably heard that from a classmate. Next. It doesn't stop when we're kids. Words still hurt when we're grown people as well. Useless, trash, worthless. I'm not sure if any of those hit home to you, if if, uh, any of that has affected your life, but another... Um, thing that may have sprayed graffiti on the walls of your mind or my mind uh, could be from hurt and pain that you have experienced in your life. Life is not easy, but I think sometimes when um, something hard, like if, if rejection hits a young child, I think that's a very, very deep scar. It's very hard to get rid of. It's very... Um, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's something that I experienced and I, I, can, I can attest to. 
Sometimes we get um, graffiti from media and the culture around us. If you're a young girl and you look on the screen or in a magazine and it tells you that you should be this size and you're not that size, it wreaks havoc on us. How does our culture influence us? Look at a car sales ad, you know, um, a car sales, um, you've got this gorgeous half-naked woman and this, this car, which you don't really notice because there's this gorgeous half-naked woman on the car. And, um, you know, if you, if you have this, you'll get this. It's, it, our culture wants us to think that we need things that we don't. Um, a lot of people, our culture also, um, our jobs, who, what we do defines us. And what God wants us to know is that's not true. What we do, it does not define us. He wants to define who we are. Sometimes um, graffiti is written on the walls of our heart by um, sin, sin in our lives. We can open up ourselves to believing things that are not true about ourselves because we um, are sinning. Um, Beth Moore uses this as an example um, in her book, Breaking Free. If someone is repented of an ungodly relationship and walked away from it physically, the first thing she must do is tear down the lies and put up the truth. She must begin to meditate on the truth that speaks to her specific challenge. She needs to fill her mind with things that feed her spirit and avoid situations that feed her flesh. If the person that she was in an ungodly relationship with um, is at the same workplace, I strongly suggest a change in the departments or a change in in employment. That's a big change in life, but it is that important. Over time, the person formally filling her thoughts um, will be filled less and less until finally the thoughts are neglected and starved to death. This process takes perseverance. Many people give up before the old thoughts are gone and the process of the new um, thoughts are working. Give God your complete cooperation and time to renew your mind. You will be victorious and Satan will be defeated. One of the things that um, I started doing uh, when Beth Moore, um, when I did this Beth Moore study was... uh, I began to write scriptures on note cards. It's just a simple little practice. But what happened was these note cards then are truth. You know, the, the um, scriptures say that um, the truth will set you free. The truth that is in this word will set us free, and it does set us free. I've experienced it in my own life. But For each of the lies that I believed in that icky, yucky wallpaper and even the layer after layer after layer that I tore down, the room was empty and um, the wall wasn't all that pretty because it was scarred up from the marks of the scraper and scarred up from the glue that was there. But God wanted me to take um, these things, these scriptures, and replace this, his word, with the lies that I believed about myself. Um, this is one of them. I'm just going to share a couple of them with you. But one of the um, lies that <clears throat> I believe is, <laughs> I can't do this. 
God, I cannot stand up in front of a congregation of people and tell them my story. I cannot do this. But I tore that down and I replaced it with Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Another lie that I believed is I don't know how to. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Isaiah 30.21. Whether you turn to the left or the right, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Another lie was I'm afraid. I'm afraid and I'm lonely and it's not safe. Jeremiah 29:11. You know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. I had to tear down what was old, put up something new so that I could know who I am in Christ. <clears throat> um, so what do we do? Um, this 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 is a battle. This is hard. It's not an easy process to go through. But God in Ephesians 6 gives us the armor of God, and I don't have time to go into what that is, but I want to talk about two of the aspects. One is the shield of faith and the sword of spirit, which he says is the word of God. And we are fighting a fight in the spiritual realm that we cannot see um, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they are divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I was in church one day, and I was sitting, just before I did this study, I was sitting, and I, I was in the pit. There was a, um, I, I didn't feel good about who I was. I felt like I was a failure as a mother. I felt like um, I wasn't doing my job as a spouse either. And I was sitting in church, and I had a friend behind me tap me on the shoulder, and she literally took me by the shoulders. And I think she would have shaken me if it had been appropriate. She took me by the shoulders and she says, you need to fight this. You need to fight this. I will be forever grateful for my friend Laura Walker who um, took me through this Bible study. But the only way that we can fight is with the word of God. It's the sword of the spirit. It's the tool that he's given us to to um, to hurt the enemy, I will not believe those things about myself. I will believe what God believes about me. So, <clears throat> um, I want to take you to a passage of scripture because we need to know as a congregation, we need to know as men and women who we are in Christ. So 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says, But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
So I want to pull out five things. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people belonging to God, and we have received mercy. What is God's view of you? I want to um, discover that, and this scripture, um, this, this scripture is great for it. God says that you are personally chosen. You are personally chosen. He picked you because he loves you. Have you ever been in a situation where um, you haven't been picked for something? Um, I think of something that happened to uh, our family yesterday. Levi has now entered Special Olympics for um, Southern California. And uh, he played basketball. Levi is our child um, with Down syndrome, and he played basketball yesterday. Um, and the process here in Southern California is a little different than what we had in Indiana. There are fewer people in Indiana than there are in California. And um, Levi was in a much larger group of individuals who wanted to play pas- basketball, and then And I thought, well, he's going to be able to play basketball in California. Then I discovered that they choose a varsity team, and they can only take one varsity team out of, I don't know, 15 kids. One varsity team of 10. And guess what? Levi did not make the cut. My mama bear claws came out. I almost showed them to the director, but I chose not to. I had some self-control. That's a good thing. He did not get selected, but what God is telling us in this scripture, he chose you, Tiffany. He chose you because he loves you. He picked you. I like to be picked. I don't like to be left out. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, um, as it's paraphrased in the message, says, Long before he laid the foundations of the earth, he had us in mind. He settled on us as a focus of his love to be made whole and holy, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. That is an amazing thing. That is an amazing thing for me as an individual to know that God chose me. That's an amazing thing for me to tell my children. Ryan, God chose you. Number two, you are extremely valuable. You are extremely valuable. What makes something valuable? So um, Carrie was helping me out a little bit with analogies, and um, I see a lot of you on Facebook, and we are Facebook friends, and we, a lot of us are in a group called the um, Temecula Valley Exchange. And I'll know what you're selling, what kind of stuff you're peddling. And um, if I'm interested, I'll say, I'll take it. And uh, it's kind of a cool thing that we do. And um, what if there was on the news feed in the Temecula Valley Exchange a vanity stool? Okay, you know, the type that you sit down and you put your makeup on and da 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 da. And the person has a price of $5 on it. Okay? So there's a $5 vanity. It's a beautiful vanity stool. It looks kind of like new, you know, 
And you're like, wow, five bucks, I need one so I can sit instead of stand while I put my makeup on. But what if that vanity stool belonged to someone that the world deems important? So our son, Ryan, I'm sorry I keep using you as an example, but he has a bit of a fascination with the royal family over there in England. And he likes to know all of the information about them. And I, even the other day, I read something. I'm like, oh, i got to share this with Ryan. He'll appreciate that. So what if this vanity stool, if in the comments, you know, he can say what the item is. What if the vanity stool said it belonged once to Princess Diana? Wow, how much more valuable would that vanity stool be in the Temecula Valley Exchange? I can't even put a price on it that the world would say, but that would be an important thing for us. We, I wouldn't have enough money to buy it, but <laughs> I think that we would try, or someone would probably try to buy it. God is telling us that we are so precious to him. We are so valuable to him. He gave his only son, sent him to earth, He died a horrible death so that we could have eternal life. That is how precious we are to him. That's something that I want to write on my mind's heart, and I want to write it on my children's heart as well. Um, I love this, um, the red-letter words of Jesus. The red-letter words that um, are in the New Testament mean that those are the words that Jesus actually spoke. And in Luke 12:24, Jesus said, Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? We have some birds at our house. Um, I'm not really a bird watcher, but I do appreciate God's beauty. But that bird doesn't have to worry about what it's going to eat, where it's going to live, because God provides for that. And think about, I mean, he, he, if he cares about a little bird, how much more he cares about someone who is made in his image, someone who is created to be his child. You are eternally loved a holy nation actually i'm going to combine two of these unlike carrie i trying to get to get us out of here in a decent amount of time <laughs> but so i'm going to combine a couple of my points here so um you are eternally loved a holy nation as a family member a people belonging to god um hebrews 2 11 says both the, uh, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. I wish I had time to go into this. You know that I, many of you know that I'm an adoptive mother. I love my daughter. She is <laughs> quite literally my heart's desire. I had these wonderful boys, and I'm so excited I have them. Each one of them is special to me. But my heart's desire was to have a little girl to wear pink and put, you know, bows in her hair. And Gracie is my child just as Ryan is my child. Sometimes I forget that I didn't give birth to her. Um, Often I'll refer to... um, 
my four pregnancies. And I'm, oh, no, Gracie was not a pregnancy. Um, but God loves us so much that he, um, he calls us his. He calls you his. So you are personally chosen. We are extremely valuable. You are eternally loved and a member of the family. The last, I'm actually going to ask Carrie um, to come up and um, if you can grab a mic. (laughs) Um, You are mercifully forgiven. Um, First Peter says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God gave his son for you and me so that we would not be the kids on the screen or the the individuals on the screen with scars because of the things that people have done to us or because of the sin in our lives. He gave his life. Jesus gave his life so that we could be called sons of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Um. I'd like to ask Carrie, can you expand on that a little bit? Um. We had a fun time last night putting together some thoughts on this. And I was sharing with Melissa that the chosen people, the royal priesthood, a holy nation of people belonging to God, those are identity marks re-wallpapering our lives. But it's not just for our own good. You see the next phrase? What does it say? That you may. That you may do something with that identity. And that we may declare forth the praises of God. So our identity in Christ, as we pass on that identity to our children, is an act of worship. You ever think about it that way? It's an act of worship. And not to do the identity thing, to some degree, could be an act of sin. Because we're not worshiping God. You are these things so that you may declare forth the praises of of who he is. Amen. And there is nothing more as a mommy that um, would bring me great joy than for all of my children um, to know Jesus. And we've had the opportunity as parents with each of them. Each of them were at different ages, different stages of life. And they have each prayed to receive Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And I pray that I have Um, implemented some of what God has taught me when I bless my children, when I look at my children and I I tell them they're beautiful, they tell them they're loved, I tell them they are royal, they are important, that they're not royal because of me, they're royal because of Jesus. And with that, the last verse we just wanted to share has to do with the mercifully forgiven knowing that even on a day like today, that identity in Christ is not your identity if you have not received the forgiveness and the mercy of the Lord. He's pursuing you. He loves you. He's called you to be his child. But there's an act 
an act of repentance, an act of receiving Christ into our life for us to truly become identified as his children. And that's why John 1.12 says this, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. And it is a joy. This is a picture of our family, which was taken a few weeks ago here at Easter. It is a joy in our lives to know that maybe we didn't succeed on some other things through these years so far. But we do believe that the identity Christ has given us in him, we've been able to offer and encourage our children to take, and that each of them have made that decision as reflected in John 1.12 to become a child of God themselves and receive Christ into their life. And so as we just pray and close here, uh, we want to pray for you um, as moms, yes, but for all of us, dads and single people, that you would be able to reestablish in the interior walls and the minds of your life your true identity, which is not some of that ugly graffiti that maybe you've been told, told or the culture tells you, but that you will be able to establish your identity as it said in the Peter passage we looked at, and who God sees you to be, that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, having received mercy so that you may declare forth his praises. Will you pray with us? God, we are just so humbled, and um, I am so humbled that you place this message on my heart to share with individuals. As you know, Lord, this is not something that I was comfortable with, but your gentle prodding, your gentle prodding told me that I should be obedient. And God, I just pray that um, for individuals in this room, I know some of them have been walking with the Lord for a very long time, and maybe they've been through this process. Maybe they understand who they are in Christ. But there are others, Lord, that I know who have not gone through this process. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would reveal to them today who they are, that they are your precious. We are your precious children. Just as much as I have loved my children with skin on, (laughs) you have loved us, Lord Jesus. And you've done so much for us, and you love us and care for us and care for us so much, Lord Jesus. We're so thankful. God, I pray that people would, that this, that individuals who need to know this would seek you. They would re-wallpaper their minds, and that they would know and believe you, Lord Jesus. Knowing and believing are two different things, Lord, and I just pray that they would know and believe who you are and who you say they are. We thank you in your precious holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Melissa.